Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. If this is your first time at Journey Church and you are wondering, that doesn't sound like a worship song, or maybe it does. Um, we are in a sermon series called Playlist, where we have been connecting some of the most popular songs in culture today with God's truth. And that song is called Never Enough. It's from the movie, The Greatest Showman. Yes, that is the second song we've used from the movie because it's awesome. Okay, you need to go see it. It's a good movie. I don't make any money off of it. I'm just telling you. It'll change your life. Anyway, uh, it's a perfect song to open up because uh, today we're going to talk about the subject of uh, contentment. We want to talk about the subject of contentment, and the title of today's message is, in fact, Never Enough. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to join me in going to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. And uh, if you don't have it, it'll be right on the screen behind me, and you can read along uh, with me. Philippians 4. Verses 10 through 12 goes like this. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul here is writing on uh, contentment. That is the ability to be happy, the ability to have joy, to smile. And as he's writing on the topic of contentment, he is sharing two really radical ideas. The first idea he's sharing is that you can be good, tap somebody and tell them, I'm good. I'm good. You know what that means, right? Like, I'm good. Like, I don't need anything. I'm good. The first radical idea is that you can be good even when things are bad. And uh, Paul backs up his talk with his walk because he's not writing this from, you know, the Hyatt Regency Marriott Four Seasons. He's not writing this from the uh, islands of Fiji. Uh, He is writing this from a dark and gloomy prison cell. And he's saying, hey, I've learned the secret of being content even when things aren't going as I wanted them to or as I planned to. Now, you really got to meet Paul to understand this, because if you did meet him, you probably get the wrong idea. You probably get the idea that he's like this natural optimist, that he's just like born happy. Come on. Have you ever met a person like that? They just came out the womb smiling, like they didn't cry at all. They're just, just, just relentlessly, persistently. I wasn't born that way, okay? And, uh, and Paul, and if you met Paul, you might see a man with chains on his ankles, chains on his wrist, and a smile on his face, and think, oh man, this guy is just a natural optimist. But he's not. He didn't say, I was born content. Did you catch the key word? He said, I learned to be content. In other words, that it's not necessarily an attitude, but it's an action. That it's not necessarily a disposition, but a decision. That it's not necessarily a circumstance, but a choice. He said, I learned it. It's a skill. And I want to teach it to you today. But the second thing he says is even more radical than the first even more hard to believe, even more unbelievable. And it's in verse 12, and it's kind of hidden. It's kind of implicit. It's kind of sneaky. It sneaks up on you. But you got to grasp it, because this is what I really want to hone in on today, because you've heard that message. 
You got to be, you know, how to be happy when, when things aren't going well. But, but, but check out what he says here in verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have what? Plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here's when my eyebrows kind of, you know, kind of, my eyes kind of squint and I kind of get lost because I just don't understand. I get struggling to smile when you're broke. How many people have been there? Okay. I get struggling to smile when you're hungry. Come on. Am I the only one who gets a little bit hangry from time to time? Okay. I I get, I get what it, what it's like to, to not, to struggle to find contentment when things are going bad. But, 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 but the challenge here is that Paul is saying us, listen, it's equally a challenge to be happy even when things are going good. And that's when I get a little lost and, and that's when I get a little confused, but that's why it's so important because Paul is trying to teach us. He wants to teach us not just that you can be happy when you have nothing. He also wants to teach us that there's no thing that can make you happy. He wants to teach us that um, you can be content when things are going bad, but he also wants to teach us that you can be discontent when things are going good. He said, I've learned the secret, though, to be content in need and in plenty, when I'm hungry and when I'm full. And I'm glad he said full, because when he said that, I remembered something that happened to me recently, and I was like, oh, oh, I get it now. I get it. He said, he said I, I found the secret to be content even when I'm full. Um, a, couple, a couple months back, uh, a, a family in the church uh, blessed my wife and I with a gift card to a Fleming's restaurant. How many people have ever eaten at Fleming's restaurant? Okay, raise your hand if you've ever. Okay, that makes sense. Not a lot of people because we're a middle-class church. We're a middle-class middle church. I didn't, I didn't know what Fleming's was, where it was. I, I'd never eaten there before, but it was a $100 gift card. So I'm like, Boom, we are set. $100, I'm going to order three meals. I'm going to come back next week. No. It does not work like that. That is not what Fleming's is. We sat down, my wife and I, and, and, we, ate, and we ate well, but we were still $30 short when the bill came at the end. And so I was, but I was, I was good. I was content. The food was delicious. It was great. The portions were, I mean, I could have, I could have fit another thing in my belly until... The waiter comes out, and it was like he was trained. He comes out, and he goes, are you guys good? I go, yeah, we're good. We'll just take the check. We're already $30 over. We'll take the check. And he goes, also, can I interest you in dessert? I'm like, nah, not really. Um, you know, we, we're full. We don't, we don't need to eat. He's like, well, do you want to at least hear what we have? And I'm like, well, I'm probably not going to be back here ever again. So, sure, go ahead, man. Just tell me what it is. He goes, well, we are known. And he says, world famous chocolate lava brownie cake. He goes, in fact, it's so good, I can't even bring it out right now. If you, if you tell me you want it, I'm going to have to go to the chef, and it's going to have to come out in 15 minutes because that's how long it takes to, and he goes into this, this, this diatribe, this preaching, this sermon on this cake, and at the end of it, I'm like, I'm looking at my wife like, please, it's so good, we'll never, we'll never miss out, we'll have this opportunity again, we got we got to get this cake, you know, we got to get this cake. And she's like, no, we don't got no money. I'm like, oh, I'll take another job. We'll just, I want to get this, I just want to get this lava cake. And, uh, and finally, my wife, who's a lot more sensible than I am, she convinces me to walk out of the restaurant. But it's crazy. Here's what I want you to grab. I had had enough, but it still wasn't enough. I was full, but I still wanted more. My dad used to say, uh, stop eating with your 
Stop eating with your eyes. Now, he's no neuroscientist, but you would have thought he was because I did some research and it finds out that that's a real thing. What happens is your eyes look at food, and when your eyes look at food and it's delicious, your hypothalamus, this is what I do during the week, I study, your hypothalamus releases these chemicals called endorphins, and endorphins is what makes you happy, and so you are literally eating with your eyes. You're watching something that tastes, you're watching, looking at something that tastes good, your hypothalamus releases the endorphins, and the endorphins send a signal to your brain, and here's the message that your hypothalamus is sending you. Not that if you eat this, you will be full, but if you eat this, you will be happy. And that's why you can drive by a mansion on your way to work, the 6,000 square feet, and this is you and your husband. You don't need a 6,000 square foot mansion, but your hypothalamus starts telling you not you need this house to live, but if you have this house, you'd be happy. That's why you can watch a Lamborghini that tops out at 250 miles per hour. I know somebody that has one, 250 miles per hour. I was with him. I said, man, how fast have you ever gone on this? He was like 70. But you can, you can park next to a Lamborghini and you don't need to go 220 miles an hour. When will you ever need? Maybe if you're robbing a bank, maybe, but you will never need to go 220 miles per hour. But your brain is sending you a signal, not that you need this car, but that if you have this car, you'll be happy. That's why you can be married or you can be single and you see someone from the opposite sex and your brain is telling you not if you have this person, they will complete you. But if you have this person, you will be happy. And it continues to be a message that goes over and over in your mind. If you have this, you will be, you will be happy. And, and now you take that thing that's happening in us and that compounds in a generation of social media. Because now on your feed, all you do is see. And after 15 minutes of scrolling, you are left with an insatiable desire. Why? Because your eyes are seeing things you don't have. And every, every person's post that you see, if you were in the Bahamas right now, you'd be happy. If you had a cute little puppy, like that person has a cute little puppy, you'd be happy. If you had this job, you'd be happy. If you were in a relationship, you'd be happy. It compounds. And we live in a generation, and, and we live in a body that has literally trained us. Listen, contentment is always a moving target. You'll never catch it. And it's not just the things you see with your eyes, but it's also the seasons that you see in your mind. Sometimes we're in, in a season, we can't enjoy the season because our mind is already looking in, in our mind's eye to the next season and our brain is telling us the same thing. If when that season comes, then we'll be happy and then we can never appreciate this season. And so you have parents who have kids, and the kids come with diapers and the parent says, oh, I'll be happy when this kid is out of diapers because changing diapers is a lot of work. And then they get out of diapers. Oh, great, I'll be happy when this kid goes to school because I'm not paying for no daycare anymore. Public school system, awesome. Thank you so much. Free daycare, that's great. And then, and then well, I'll get happy when, and then eventually, I'll get happy when they move out. That's where it all ends. That's where. But then when they leave, you talk to parents who are empty nesters, oh man, I'd be so happy if they came back, right? Or you talk to kids, remember being a kid? What was the one thing you wanted more than anything when you were a kid? To be big, to grow up. And now you're grown up. And the only thing you want is to be a kid again, right? And we can't enjoy our season because we're always looking to the next season. And, and, and why would God make us this way? Why would God wire our brains like this? Well, uh, biologists and scientists say the reason why our hypothalamus works like that is because if it didn't, um, when we would just stay where we are. And so, and so the reason why God, uh, why, why, why that's in us is so that we can go find food. It was like a hunting mechanism 
for humans. And I, and, I, and I believe that with my whole heart, except I think the thing that we're hunting for is not food. I believe the reason why God put that in our brain like that is so that we would hunt for him. And so that we would find for him, that we would try everything in this world. And when we realized that none of it could fit, we'd turn back to him. That's why you got people who leave the church when they're 17 and come back when they're 40. Because they spent about 23 years trying to find the thing that would fill their soul until they realize there's nothing out there that can fill it. And then they come back. Realizing that the, the well of living water was here all along. Drinking salt water their whole life, but it's only made them more thirsty. And then they come, and then they come back. And so what's the secret? The secret to contentment is really not finding that thing, but really finding God who brings that contentment so that you can be content, listen, no matter where you are or what you have. That's what I want to teach you today. How many people would like to learn that? How to be content no matter where you are and no matter what you have, to be content. Well, it's not as simple as God. And, and, I, and, and you should be relieved that a preacher stood up and finally said that. Is that love God and you'll be content. I've been loving God for, for 31 years, and it is hard. So I'm going to need a little more steps than that. And Paul lays out the steps. He lays out four steps, four steps we're going to get into right now. And, so, and you want to learn from Paul because he went through it. He learned it. He learned it the hard way, and you can skip the hard way. If you're young, if you're a teenager here, you can skip all the hard stuff if you learn it straight from Paul. So here's your fast pass. Right? Here's your way to skip the line and get straight to the lesson. If you're taking notes, I want you to write each one of these down. First off, you got to remember to rejoice. Remember to rejoice. Somebody say, remember. Philippians 4.4, same chapter, just a little earlier, goes like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. I like how he said it again. I like how he repeated, and I started to ask myself, why? Why would Paul repeat that? And then I remember something that happened with my kids recently. I don't know if you have young kids at the house. My kids are four and six. And they have found a loophole for disobedience. I'm serious. They have found a way to break a rule and not get in trouble. And I have no argument for it. It's crazy. It, it happened the first time uh, Zane got up out of, uh, out of the table. We have a rule that says um, you can't leave the table unless you're excused. You got to ask somebody for permission, um, either mom or dad. And it was, it was because if not, then they just they don't eat their food and they just break stuff. And so sit down. And so Zane got up and he left. And I found him, and I said, I said, I said, I said, bro, I said, don't you, the rule, you can't leave the table unless you ask for permission to leave. And he said something, two words that I had no answer for. He said, I forgot. And I was so confused, because, like, I get it, he's four. So, like, I can't be mad at him if he has a short memory, but, like, the way his brain works. And so I'm like, well, you... What do I do here? <laughs> what do I do here? Do I, do I get mad? Do I yell? Do I, what do I do? He, he, he forgot. And now that's his thing for anything. Anything. One toy at a time. He brings out four toys. Why'd you bring out four toys? You know the rule is one toy. I forgot. Hey, man, you're supposed to like, you know, use shampoo in your hair when you take a bath. Stop walking out the bath with stinky hair. I, I forgot, Dad. I, I forgot. And so now my wife and I, we figured it out. We, you know, we, we try to read books. Books have knowledge. And, and Liz read this parenting book. And she said, hey, kids will often say they forgot and because they often do forget. And so here's what you have to do. You have to get them to repeat back to you the commandment that you gave them. And so now every time we tell them to do something, we're like, all right, don't leave the table without asking for permission. They're like, okay. We're like, repeat it back to me. I can't, I can't what? Leave the table unless you what? Ask for permission. Good, remember that. Don't you dare forget it. 
I believe that Paul is asking the Philippian church to repeat it because he knows that it's easy to forget. Not to forget the law, not to forget the commandment, not to forget your car keys or forget to lock the door. I think he knows that it's easy to forget just how good God's been in your life. And so he says, repeat it, rejoice. That's not good enough. Say it again, rejoice again. Do not forget God's goodness in your life. Did you know that that's what a worship leader's job is? When, when, when we sing, Jesus, you change everything, who, why are we singing that? He knows he changes everything. He doesn't need to be reminded that he's changing everything. You know who needs to be reminded that he changes everything? You and me. We don't sing those songs for God. We sing those songs for you and me so that we remind ourselves that he's good. But listen, here's the challenge. It's expecting the reminder that we get on Sunday to carry over into Monday. You got to be able, and that's why I went tomorrow morning when you wake up, don't forget that God's been good to you and rejoice on Monday just like you rejoiced on Sunday. Just like you rejoiced on Sunday. You got you to gotta find your own joy. Now listen, when my kids are young and they're immature, and they're, I have no problem reminding them because I know that they'll get it. But a sign of true mature contentment is when you don't need anybody to remind you to rejoice. When you remind yourself God's being good to me. When you remind yourself that he saved you. When you remind yourself that he chose you. When you remind yourself that he's got your back. When you remind yourself, that's when you know that your, content, that your joy has reached another level. But what if things aren't going good? How can I rejoice if things are not going good around me? That's not a problem because you're not rejoicing for the things God is doing. You're rejoicing for the things God did. That's why we call it rejoice because you're getting joy again from something God did in the past. You're getting joy again from something God did before. It's rejoice. And let me tell you something. It's better the second time around. It is. Listen, the next day, do what I say because I'm your pastor. Follow me. The next time. The next time you get into a day of trouble, you got to te- treat your day of trouble like the day after Thanksgiving. Let me explain. How many people know that the turkey is better the next day? I spent hours trying to figure out this conundrum. I've made turkey, and it just doesn't come out as good. I've eaten the turkey on the, on the Thanksgiving day, and it just doesn't come out as good, and I think I figured it out. I think the reason why the, thing, the turkey is better on the next day, you know, with the mayonnaise and the two pieces of bread and you just get a bone, it's okay, you spit that out, it's just delicious. I think the reason why it's better the second day is, listen, it's hard to appreciate the turkey when it's next to the candy yams. It's hard to appreciate the turkey when, when it's next to the, to the pumpkin pie. It's hard to appreciate the turkey when it's next to the sweet potato pie, a la mode, come on somebody. It's hard to appreciate the turkey when the table is full. But when you've got, on the next day, when the fridge is empty, on the next day when the pie's been eaten, on the next day when the yams are gone, on the next day when the celebration is over and you've got nothing left to celebrate, you're forced to dip into what happened yesterday. You're forced to, you're forced to, you're forced to enjoy what happened yesterday, today. And I think it's like that in our lives. When we're going through a situation where there's nothing to celebrate, you got to go back for seconds on the thing God did for you before. You got to go back to those things and get joy from it. You got to go back to it. Like, I know it's been a couple years since your child's been born, but what if you woke up tomorrow and gave God thanks for the birth of your child? 
I know it's been a couple of years or months since you got that job, but what if you went back and got joy again for the things that God, I'm telling you, it's powerful. When you're in the shower and it's a bad day and things aren't going well, start looking to your past at all the good things God's done for you and start giving them thanks for those things. If you're a teenager, I know, or, 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 or younger, and you've been, in, you, you've been alive for a while, <laughs> maybe you need to go back to the fact that you were born into a home where you have a parent that loves you and you get joy from that experience and you dip back into it. And so you got to remember, listen, in order to rejoice, you got to go back and get seconds from the things that God did in your life. Number two, if you're taking notes, you got to recognize God's in it. Remember to rejoice, recognize God's in it. Um, a couple years ago, I was a youth pastor, and we did this outreach. Um, it was a haunted house. It was called Nightmare on Oak Ridge. It was a lot of fun. And we would um, dress up as devils and demons and, and like evil spirits and like psychos with chainsaws, but it was all for the glory of God. We converted our church into this horror house, and then we would scare everybody, and at the very end, we would tell them, this is all real. <laughs> if you do. And, and I don't know if it was the best, but it worked. <laughs> And then we we're like, this is all real, and the devil's real, and these and monsters, they're probably not real, but you know, maybe you don't know. And so, and we and at the end we would just present to them Jesus Christ. It was amazing. We saw 400 people give their lives to Jesus. It was beautiful. So my grandma, <laughs> she's not about that. Um, but I convinced her. She's older, obviously, you know, 60, 70 years old, I can't remember. Um, and uh, and I said, Grandma, you gotta come to this Christian haunted house that we're doing. And my grandma Francis, and and uh, her name was Francis. And uh, she said, well, I don't really like this kind of stuff. And to be honest, I think this is kind of demonic, but whatever. I'll go. And so when she went in, I actually started telling all the demons that my grandma was coming through and to whisper Francis when she started walking through. It's much funnier than it is sad. I'm surprised you guys didn't laugh at that. It was true. <laughs> you guys are thinking you're a horrible person. No, it's hilarious. And so she walks in, and the, and the, and the first kind of demon dressed in black kind of walks. He's like, Francis. And she's like... And I'm, I'm watching from the back kind of to see what's happening, you know. She's getting scared. And then, and, then, and then she really, and then the devil comes out at the very end. And he's like, and he starts talking. And I gave, actually, I gave the devil some details about her life. That, that <laughs> Nobody would know. And so then she starts giving the details. And she's like, you have 12 kids. And he's like, oh, my gosh, this is not. And then, but then I, then I saw her panicking. I kind of peeked out the back. And I was like, Grandma. It's me. It's okay. I told them to say that. Don't worry. And I'm in charge here. Don't worry. I got this whole. And she calmed right down, and her fear turned to laughter. She thought it was hilarious. She got peace, and she was able to be content. Listen, when she recognized that there was someone in the midst of her fear who she knew that loved her and was in control. And you got to be able to go through situations and find God in your situation, understanding that he's in control. Look what Philippians 4.10 says. I rejoiced greatly in what? In the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Look what he says. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I love verse 11. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. In other words, he says, he says, I'm not saying thank you for the gift. I appreciate the gift, but I'm not thanking you for the gift. I'm thanking God because I realize that God is in the gift. And if you can find God in the gift, and if you can find God in the blessing, that's awesome because that's preparation for finding God in the trial. And so Paul was in jail, but he didn't see the jail. He saw God in the jail. That's why he was able to write in Galatians, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You want to know one of the secrets to contentment? Finding God in any situation that you're in. You get your tax return back, and it's a check. Praise God. Uncle Sam did his thing, but thank God for that check in the mail. If you get not a check, if you get a bill, hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> 
praise God. If you got a check, God's trying to bless you. If you got a bill, God's trying to build you. Either way, God's in it. So I'm good. I'm not here for how this all ends. I'm here, but because of who I know is in it. And I can rest and I can be at ease because I see God in my situation. Not just in the good times or the bad times, but the boring times too, or the mundane times. Maybe you're not at the the, the dream job that you always thought you'd have. You want to know right now the secret to enjoying the job that you have? Finding God in it. There was a, we have in my small group, we got a guy who does video, and we got another guy who started an app. So we got a business leader, entrepreneur, and we got, well, he owns his business too, but he does video. He said, the best part of my job, the guy who records weddings, he said, the best part of my job is not the, 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 the recording, it's the way I treat the groom and the bride. He goes, I love to treat them so well and help them in any way that I can because I understand that I'm not just here to record a video. I'm here to represent the love of Christ in their life. I'm not just, he didn't just record a video. He doesn't just have a job. He's seen God in his job. We got this other guy who's starting a business right now. It's not doing well, but he told me, he goes, hey, man, um, uh, I can't wait till this business takes off because I want to give 10% of everything that this business takes off right back to the church. And it's helping me because now when I'm doing something that seems so not spiritual or so secular or something that really is not bringing me joy, I'm redeeming it. I had someone on our legacy team said, hey, I cannot wait to write this church a million-dollar check. I said, me neither. He said, I can't wait to do it because now I'm working with a renewed purpose. God is redeeming my nine to five. I don't just see a business. I don't just see real estate. I don't just see investments. I see God in my everyday life. That's powerful. You want to enjoy your job? You got to find God in it. Treat your workplace like a church, like a ministry, and you see what God does. Number three, you got to refuse to let it in. Remember to rejoice, recognize God's in it, and refuse to let it in. What is it? Well, it is not contentment. It is everything that stands against contentment. Anxiety, stress, worry, fear, loneliness, refuse to let it in. Bitterness, here's what Paul says in Philippians 4.10. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last... You renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned. Look what he says. But you had no opportunity to show it. you got to love the way Paul uh, interprets that situation. The reality is, can I let you in on the reality? Because we did the studies and we know. um, The Philippian church had forgotten about Paul. He started that church, but they got so busy doing church that they forgot the one who started the church. And so, and so they had been forgotten about him, but Paul looks at that situation, and instead of getting mad, and instead of getting upset, he puts a filter on his eyes, and he says, I thank God, because you didn't have an opportunity to bless me. Did you see how he spinned that positively? He could have said, I thank God that you, you know, supported me, because if you didn't, he'd have burned the whole thing down. You're so lucky, so lucky that I'm a good guy. I don't pray curses over you, so lucky. He didn't. He said he, he saw it in the best way possible. Do you know that just because bad things happen in our lives, that doesn't mean that we have to get bitter? Just because he or she broke up with you doesn't mean you have to resent? Just because someone let, uh, you got let go from your job doesn't mean you have to get angry? You are the one, the only one who controls the key to your heart. And you don't have to let those things in if you don't want to. Because by the way, that's the devil's approach to you. That's his strategy. See, he found out early on that he can't take what he hasn't given. And because he hasn't given you your joy, because your joy comes from God, he knows that he can't take it from you. Here's my advice to you. Don't forfeit what cannot be stolen. 
Because God has given you joy, and the devil knows that the only way to take your joy from you is not to take it because he can't do it, but to give you something else to hold. And so he knows that the only way, the only way to put down your contentment is to pick up your resentment. God's giving me joy. I got this joy. But then someone does me wrong at work. My wife says something that irritates me. Someone cuts me off in traffic. Um, I start to fear about my future. As long as I hold my joy, that can't hold on. But if, but if I see that resentment, if I see that bitterness, if I see that jealousy, and I go, you know what? That's not fair. And I go to grab that, I'm forced to put down the thing that God, you can't hold both at the same time. And so this is what you need to do the next time you feel those things. Asking, you got to ask yourself, am I willing to make a trade? Am I willing to make a trade? Am I willing to put this down to pick that up? And I'm going to tell you, it's always a bad trade. You got to refuse. And you can, you can feel it. Come on, can't you feel it? When the ugliness, when the darkness comes near you, you can feel it approaching. Don't put it down. Hold on to the joy that God's given you. And lastly, and this one is uh, probably my favorite because the Lord ministered to me at the most this week. You got to remember to rejoice, recognize God's in it, refuse to let it in. And the last one, rest content. Somebody say rest. Philippians 4.13, Paul says this, I can do all things through Christ. This is right after that. He said, I learned the secret to contentment. He's bragging about it for three chapters, really the whole chapter, and then he gives you the secret right here in one sentence. I can do all things through Christ. Here's the secret, who gives me strength. To fully understand that passage, you got to understand the rest of Paul's teachings. Because see, he also wrote that when I'm weak, your power is made perfect. In other words, Paul got the revelation of contentment. Try and catch this. Not when he was raising the little boy Eutychus from the dead. That's not when he understood how to be content. He didn't learn contentment when he was uh, healing the eyes of the blind or casting out devils or demons in the New Testament. Paul didn't learn the secret of contentment from the pulpit. He learned it from the prison. He learned it when he was at the end of himself, when he had nothing else to celebrate when he had no one around him, when he was at his worst, the most exhausted, the most tired, that's when he learned the secret. When he was out of power, he said, all right, God, you take control. And in that moment, God gave him strength. He said, oh, that was it all along. I needed to stop trying and I needed to rest. I'll never forget trying to teach my, my boys how to swim. Zane kind of jumped right in, but, but, uh, but, but Justice had a little harder time. Um, we went to this swimming class, and uh, it was at a community pool, and they had two lessons on the first day. The whole first day was about jumping in, um, which I was like, that seems silly, but there's a whole message in that, that you can't learn to swim unless you first jump in, right? We could just talk about that all, all day, but I won't, I, won't, I won't jump into that because I do believe that for some of us, we're on the edge of something God's asking us to jump into, but the second lesson was, was powerful. He said, he said uh, in, order, in order for them to really grasp swimming, they got to learn to trust you. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to practice floating. And they would do this thing where they, you know, they float on their back, and then you're kind of behind them, you know? And it's like, it's pretty cool. You know, it's like a levitation exercise or something like that. It's like a magic trick. And you're behind them, and you're keeping them up. And Justice kept freaking out. Every time I had him on his back, he would struggle, and he would fight. He didn't trust me. He felt the water creeping in on his ears. And it was crazy because I think he thought, I have to move to stay up. 
But what he didn't grasp was that the more he moved and the more he strived and the more he worked, the further he sank. That if he would just rest and trust that his father was not going to let him down, he would have made it and he would have stayed floating. And I feel like there are people here today who need to hear this word from God. You need to stop swinging your arms. You need to stop fighting. You need to stop striving and you need to just rest in the presence of the Lord. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life. I love this. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Did you catch that? The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Here's the last thing I want you to write down or at least remember. You don't reach for contentment. You rest in contentment. It's not if I get there, if I catch it, then I'll be happy. If I get there, if I catch it, then I'll be. You're never going to find contentment that way. You don't reach for contentment. You rest in contentment. That's why in worship, we lift up our hands. Because we're telling the Lord, I'm done. I'm out. I have tried. I have tried as hard as I can. I have given it my all. I have done my best. I got nothing left. I'm lifting my hands in worship because you and you alone are the only one who can get me there. I want to encourage you today. You are not going to find your contentment in a thing. No matter how big the house, no matter how much alcohol, no, much, no matter how much sex, no matter how much money, no matter how big the bank account, no matter how fast the car, no matter what the season, contentment is not something you achieve. It's something you receive. It's something you receive. Every head bowed, every eye closed in this room today. I want to invite you right now. If you're struggling with bitterness, resentment, anger, loneliness, pain, maybe just a blindness, uh, uh, you feel like there's something missing, you haven't had joy in a while. You woke up this morning and it was a struggle. You woke up this morning and it was a, a challenge. I want to invite you to rest in God's presence right now. When every head bowed, every eye closed, begin to ask the Lord right now, God, I receive your rest. I receive your contentment. I'm no longer going to strive. I'm no longer going to work. I'm going to sit back and understand that you are in control. You are in charge. I, I, I remember all the good that you've done in my life. I remember to rejoice. I recognize that you're, you're here in my situation. It might seem scary. It might seem dark, but you're with me. I am not alone. You've got me. You are in control. You are in charge, and I will not be afraid. I will be content. I refuse to let the bitterness in. If bitterness has already come in, I'll release it, Lord. And right now, I just, I just rest. And I pray that right now, Father God, that you would begin to fill every heart with a joy. Right now, as you'd be able to fill every heart with a, with a contentment. That you'd be able to fill every heart with a peace that passes all understanding, reminding us that you are the source. You are the source. You are the source. Not the stuff. We don't care about the stuff. It'll never be enough. You are the source. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. 
We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us, amen at journeyorl.com, where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option. Or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.